The cannabis industry is growing almost as fast as the cannabis and hemp being planted and harvested. Where, when, and how fast will the cannabis and hemp industries continue to climb? Who will be the people leading the charge into that promised land of profit? Let's pursue those answers and more with The Plant Profits, powered by Protus Global. Hello, everyone. My name is Vern Davis, and I am the host of Plant Profits. And Plant Profits is brought to you by Protus Global People Solutions. And I want to thank you all for joining us today. I'm excited about my guest. My next guest is an experienced CEO, uh, a corporate board member, and advisor to public and private companies. And she's doing a lot of that work, let me tell you. Among her long list of accomplishments, uh, she has served as a former CEO and board member for the largest vertically integrated apparel manufacturer in North America. I want you all to join me in welcoming my guest, Chelsea Grayson. Chelsea um, is the former chief executive officer and board member of American Peril and True Religion. Chelsea, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing? Thank you for having me. Oh, we were excited when you said yes. We were excited to have you on the show. Me? I'm just a schmata girl. Why? I mean, you know. Uh, well, uh, you, you, you've done a lot. You've, <laughs> you've done a lot. And we're going to dive into that, uh, which I think is, 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 is really important. And, but I, um, I really want to, I want our, I want our audience to get an inside perspective, meaning like you, we want to get to know you and we'll we'll talk business, but we want to get to know you a little bit. Okay. So you're a California girl. Cali girl, born and raised Los Angeles, actual Los Angeles for the record. The Valley is not LA. Orange County is not LA. I'm talking. I came up in 213, split off in 210 and now I'm 323. So that right down the center. All right. That's great. That is awesome. You sound very proud of that. Yeah, LA is the best. I mean, what what, what was growing up in proper LA? Let's just call it proper. The Chelsea definition, right? What what was what what was it like growing up in proper LA? You know what? I came up in the free to be you and me generation. I'm a 70s baby. We had a competition off air earlier. They don't don't know how I beat you down on that. But they they don't, but they should because you (laughs) think. You should get all of your flowers right now, okay? Okay. You, you killed me on the age thing. You are old <laughs> for the record. Uh, no. <laughs> no, but um, yeah, no, it was. I mean, it was wonderful. I know a lot of, you know, LA became a place where a lot of people um, have migrated to over the years, and that's great. We'll take all comers, you know. But um, I think for that reason, LA has sort of developed this reputation of being sort of cultureless or. You know, mm-hmm. we're not a food scene or you got to come here and be really fake. And I and that all might be true, but I think that's the influx of folks from the outside that feel they have to put on. Mm-hmm. But, you know, born and raised L.A. people, I mean, you know, we're very centered. We care a lot about our city, you know, and there are a lot of issues to care about here. And we happen to be sitting in the cannabis capital of the of the country for sure. So that's always maybe the world. Yeah, and absolutely. No no surprise. No. <laughs> if you grew up here, you would have you would have seen that all the time, anyways. You know, <laughs> it, it just had to happen. It had to happen. And yeah. what what gets me is how in the hell did you let Colorado beat you to the punch? <laughs> I don't know. 
don't go there. <laughs> I, I really don't know. I don't know. They're too high, you know. It's what can I say? Mile that's, high. That's <laughs> great. That's <laughs> great. I'll see Stevie Wonder in a second. Yeah, okay. Yeah. You're, you're good with words, I'm telling you. That's good. I like it. I like it. But, well, you uh, know what? I also sit on the board of the English Lit Department at UCLA, my alma mater. So I am the word queen. I, you know, and you've put that to good use. Okay. So, and you're still doing it and you're, you're, you're going, Chelsea, you're going absolutely, absolutely strong, man. Um, what, what, what in your growing up, what, what shaped you? What, what are the, when you look back and says, okay, here I am, I, I've, I've done these things and I'm doing these things, which is awesome. You're doing these things. What, you know, what in and how you grew up shaped you and, and, and just really made you? Yeah. Um, there's certainly dark parts to the story that I won't get into because it's not the subject matter of this podcast. But what I will say is that I, yes, I grew up in Los Angeles and a lot of people associate that with glitz and glamour and Hollywood and celebrity and, you know, the center of all that's fancy other than New York City. Shout out New York City. <laughs> My husband. My husband's from the Bronx, so I always have to say There that. you go. Yeah. Um, but but there are people who grow up here without a lot of money, and I was certainly one of them, you know? Yeah. And that can be really tough when you're growing up so close to that glitz and glamour, and you right. have friends that, are, that have all of that, and you don't, you know? I mean, yeah. I, had, I grew up in an extremely close-knit family. There was so much love in my house, but my parents were hippies you know they met in the 60s at Haight ashbury they were both at berkeley you know and you know my oh, mom that's, that's a story we got to get into it's a whole thing my mom was putting flowers down the barrels of machine guns at protests you know my you know i mean it just what so they cared less about material things and more about the experience of having you know a close family my dad was home every night for dinner you know i had that yeah. after traditional family unit and although he was in aerospace and defense, he was on the aerospace side of it. He was the guy who was the engineer who was working on the space shuttles at Rockwell, et cetera, et cetera. So when you're not God. on the defense side of things, sure. you're not where the money is, right? We all know money is with war. Money, money is not with science and exploration. Right. Um, just my opinion, but something mm -hmm. I've observed. And so uh, we didn't grow up with a lot. So I grew up really scrappy. Mm -hmm. I grew up really having to not have a lot of ego about that and about admitting that I didn't have, but I wanted mm -hmm. and it motivated me from an early age and it could have gone either way. I could have grown up to be similarly a flower child, but I grew mm -hmm. up, it motivated me differently. It motivated me to work really hard to attain a level of comfort so that my kids would never have to be even thinking about money. They wouldn't have to worry about, can I take this class or do that thing? Yeah. Have enough ducats to pay for that. That was mm -hmm. what it motivated me to do. So so I guess I'll, I'll say that. I grew up with not a lot of money, a lot of love, unconditional uh -huh. love. My parents convinced me I could do anything, and so I did. That is awesome. I, I wish, I, and I'm gonna tell you, this is this is off script. I wish that, because I wish what you just said was normal, right? I wish what you just said was normal, meaning that you, you grew up with a lot. Here's what I got out of it. You grew up with a lot of love, right? You lived in a place where glitz and glam was everywhere, but you had everything you needed. Oh, yeah. You, you had everything you needed. 
right? And and you grew up, you know, with values. Can I tell you something that? Yes. You know, I mean, Disneyland is 45 minutes away from where we grew up, right? Every right. little kid wants to go to Disneyland. Right. Um, when we were growing up, we cared so little about material possessions that what we did every year, my parents didn't, Disneyland is extraordinarily expensive. Yeah, uh, amazingly expensive, right. I can't believe it, right? And um, and maybe that's justified, maybe it's not, I don't know. But we wanted to go to Disneyland every year. My parents said, cool, we get that. Kids want to have fun. We don't have the funds for that. So every year we would have a garage sale on the lawn. We would sell a bunch of stuff, my, my sister and I. We would sell our toys. We would sell mm -hmm. clothes that we had grown out of, what have you. We would raise the funds ourselves. Mm-hmm. We weren't pissed about it either. It was fun to do. We felt like we had really worked for it. And then my parents would take us to Disneyland on that money. And it was a lesson about, you know, how you don't need stuff. Experiences are better. Mm -hmm. And you can raise that money yourself and get there. And you will feel so much better about it once you have that experience. Or and that's that's critical. That's a great that that that. You know, obviously, you know, looking at the things you've accomplished in your life and the things you're going to accomplish. Um, you're, you're, you're growing up, uh, is, is very important. And, and I say, and I say what I said before, for the reason that I wish that for every child, you know, race, religion, right. Color, because I know in the black community in the black community that 80% of the children that are born today do not have a mother and a father in their home. And I also know, and I truly believe that that is part of some of the, the social issues that we have because you need love, you need guidance. You need to know that there's someone that cares about you. You need hope. A man or a, a woman without hope is lost, right? And so you'll do anything because you don't have hope. And I, I, I your story, just the thing that you said made me think of that, that that is, that is, um, that's critical to your success. Hope is a luxury item that a lot of us can't afford or we're not provided, you know, and I completely agree with you and you're absolutely mm -hmm. right. If it's possible, love from, from two parents, whoever those parents might happen to be, that's a safety net, you know, Right. if it's possible, you know, uh, my, my ex-husband, my, kid's dad. I have an 18-year-old and a 16-year-old. So, okay. Um, again, refer to the old part of the conversation, but, um, you know, and uh, I'm on my second marriage now, but my first husband is their, is their dad. And after a bumpy start, we figured out the co-parenting thing, and I could never have predicted how critical it would be to have them in their, to have him in their lives, you know? Right. I mean, my daughter's, my daughter's the older one, and she spent, um, a period of time without him there for that was between them, you know, uh -huh. that was something that they were going through. Right. And I for sure, and I've spoken with her about it, so it's no secret. I for sure see the differences in her and her issues and when, where she comes out in life and her perspective on life versus right. my son who spent the entire time coming up with his dad for better or for worse. And he just has a completely more optimistic and sunny perspective on things. You know, he's not such a fatalist. And I mm -hmm. think it's because of his relationship with his dad. You need your dad. If you can get, if you can get, or if you can get both, both parents, for example. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. So, you know, that's the cool thing about coming to Plant Profits, Chelsea. We can talk about anything we want. 
you know, Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, we can talk about anything we want. Hey, I'm Vern Davis. We're going to take a break. I'm Vern Davis, your host of Plant Profits that is fueled by Protus Global People Solutions. And I'm here with an amazing woman, Chelsea Grayson. Uh, she's been the CEO and board member of American Peril and True Religion, a company, and she's on the board of multiple companies and been advisor to many. So um, we'll, we'll pick this conversation up on the other side. Plant profits will return so our sponsors can profit from these messages. Elevate your every day with that Shuggies feeling, with the sweet taste of Shuggies. Add a cup of Shuggies to your morning coffee. Ah, how sweet it is. Shuggies infuses cannabis and cane sugar to make it the perfect sweetener with benefits. Make your happy hour happier with a dunk of Shuggies in your drink. Order your Shuggies now at shoogies.com or find it in dispensaries throughout California. Whenever you crave a little sweet, pick up Shuggies, the sweet, sweet take anywhere treat. The plant profits are back to lead the pursuit of the promised land of plant profit. Only on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back. I'm Vern Davis, your host of Plant Profits. And Plant Profits is fueled by Protus Global People Solutions. And I'm here with, with Chelsea Grayson. And um, obviously, she's the former CEO of, of True Religion. And, you know, it's a brand that we all know. But we were just really having a, a, a cool chat about life and uh, and her experiences growing up. She's a very successful um, entrepreneur and uh, very successful uh, corporate leader. And but that's not how she started out, right? I mean, you started out as you, you went to law school. You went, well first you you got a, a what did you get a liberal arts degree? <laughs> Yeah, you got a liberal arts degree, and then you said, "What the hell? How did you get to the to the law thing? How, how did that happen?" All right, so I mean, yeah, I'm I'm kind of like the queen of pivot, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> I've had so many. Oh, that's very valuable right now. I'm yeah, telling you. Is. No, it definitely <laughs> is for sure. Um, I've had so many chapters to my career; it's it's nuts. But um, or some would call it Machiavellian, if you want to put a dark skin on it. I don't know. Okay. But, um, yeah, I, you know, I actually, I thought I was going to go to business school out of high, I never would have predicted I was going to become a lawyer. And I started out at UCLA as a biz econ major and okay. absolutely hated it. Was learning a lot of good practical stuff. Take a stats class if you haven't, you know, I mean, you'll yeah. know you need to know if you take a stats class. And, you know, um, but two years in, I switched my major. Um, so I ended up with an unofficial minor in biz econ, but a major in, in English lit. Okay. And, Actually, English Lit is really a good prep for being a lawyer because it's all about reading a text, mm-hmm. understanding the facts, right, if you will, mm-hmm. or understanding what the context is but of a relationship between two parties who want to do a deal, you know, understanding, you know, interpreting that text, and then you have to advocate for your understanding and interpretation of that text to mm-hmm. folks, whether it's written or oral. So, I mean, it's actually very much like ultimately becoming an advocate, you know, as a lawyer. And so it was not a difficult progression for me. Okay. Um, although it's interesting, I, I ended up, I wasn't a litigator. I did mergers and acquisitions. So you, you were doing MA, you're an M&A attorney, but what put the, 
okay, let me go to law school. You got you got this English lit degree. What what put this? Uh, l- let me go to law school in your brain. Yeah, because I can write. And okay. I can speak. And okay. I can advocate, and I can. I had enough business knowledge where I knew that I, but I I didn't want to go into business at that point. My dad had done some stuff in business after he had gotten out of aerospace and. Um, that was the view I had on it, and it wasn't a particularly successful venture. So yeah, I okay. didn't have a big picture in terms of everything you could do. You could become an investment banker. You know, you could go run a company. I mean, I just I wasn't thinking about it like that. Right. I knew I could, write, I knew I could argue, and so I sort of thought, okay, well, I'm going to put all these skills to use. Um, I'll go be a lawyer. And um, <laughs> and actually, law school was I loved it. I loved you. You school. you liked the whole. Just the whole process of law school? Yeah, I loved it. I love the Socratic method. I love being put on the spot and, you know, state your case. And I loved, I, I did have a really good knack for understanding the business issues at play, the real life issues at play, which a lot of lawyers are terrible at, which is yeah. lawyer jokes and why people hate lawyers because they're so pedantic and they're so mired in the ridiculously irrelevant procedural details that they never stand back and understand how is this impacting the parties? They have to live after I step out of this picture. How am I making that easier for them? Right. But I, somehow for me, it just clicked and I got it. And maybe because I've been a busy con major, maybe because I lived a lot of real life on the streets before, not on the streets, but you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I had lived a relatively gritty existence at some point. So, you know, yeah. I understood, you know, whether you're in litigation or a deal context, that you're really just there to facilitate and you're going to step out at some point and these people are going to have to keep living their lives. And so how can mm-hmm. you facilitate that? They should walk away better after you leave the scene. And a lot of lawyers don't get it. So and you you got to be a partner in one of these firms. Yeah, it was nuts. So, um, yeah. I, you know, I, I, there was a lot of things that happened to me that were fortuitous and a lot of things that I strategically planned. And so in yeah. a nutshell, I had, I clerked for a federal bankruptcy judge right out of law school. I knew okay. I wanted to a federal judicial clerkship. That's always the thing. But you got to yeah. take the first one that's offered to you. That was offered to me. I didn't realize what a great stepping stone that was going to be. So wow. put that aside, federal bankruptcy judicial mm-hmm. clerkship. I get to Jones Day, which is one of the biggest law firms in the world. And I thought that I wanted to be a litigator. Mm-hmm. Um, lots of twists and turns. Three months in, I ended up doing corporate finance which okay. is the initial financings of a company. And then you take them through their IPO and then you represent them after they're public. That's what corporate finance is. Well, guess what happened a few years after I started practicing 9-11 and the little mini recession after 9-11. Right. The deal market absolutely dried up, especially corp fin. Nobody was investing in anything. It was the end of the tech boom, so to speak. You know, right. a lot of my um, colleagues at the firm just sort of sat there and took, a, took advantage of it and decided to take a break and sort of twiddled their thumbs. There were no deals to be done, but they still had the job there. Hey, let's relax. You know, I didn't want to get myself off of partnership track. So what I did at that point was I reached across the aisle to my bankruptcy folks at the firm and I said, hey, I don't want to do bankruptcy, but I've done a lot of distressed M&A from chambers when I was okay. judge. I can work with you on your distressed mergers and acquisitions. So I did that for a few years. So I continued to- That's a great move. Seasoning and experience, right? Yeah. We came out of that- two children later, by the way, because I also did my own work on the side during that recession. Um, <laughs> so when we came out of that 2004, 2005, I was just a full-blown M&A lawyer. So mm-hmm. I switched to the M&A group. And at that point, 
There was nobody around me that was left. They had all fallen by the wayside because they had no experience. They had done no deals. They were gone. They had no shot. So I, up from the ranks, very rare, I made equity partner at Jones Day in the mergers and acquisitions group. And then That's I was awesome. in California. Yeah, it was, it was just, so it was a lot of, you know, fortune and opportunity meets, you know, kind of strategy and taking advantage of, you know, all of your tools. No, that's great. That was, that was a hell of a move you made instead yeah. of, yeah. And, and you're pretty damn competitive, aren't you? Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I am. That's great. I tell you what, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to start a conversation here that I'm really want us to hear about from you. And, and tell, so you, you did that attorney thing, but then you went into corporate law. You went over to, True Religion and American Apparel. You went over there as a corporate attorney, as their their GC, the GC, right? General counsel. So I was recruited from Jones Day. I was recruited yeah. to join American Apparel, which at the time was publicly traded. Yeah. Um, and as their general counsel, and this right. was in, at the end of 2014. For anyone who's watching this, you can pause for a sec. Google what was happening with American Apparel in 2014. <laughs> um, that was the company was in liquidity crisis. The company. Yeah culture crisis. The founder and CEO had been suspended at that point for cause um, pending an investigation into alleged. Yeah, it was nasty. It was ugly. I remember. Uh, yeah. yeah. All of that. And, and you know, it, it, misuse of corporate funds. There was an ongoing SEC investigation. So long story short, they had cleaned out the C-suite and the board and they were reestablishing the upper levels of management and the board of directors of the company. So I was brought in as the new guard, as the general counsel there. And I spent that whole first year Really, all the business of the company came through the general counsel's office, which is very odd. It should have gone through the new CEO's office, but it was all fallout, right? It was half a billion dollars of litigation. We had a proxy contest that year. You know, we had a faux unionization attempt that was brought by the founder and former CEO. We had the SEC investigation. We had the whole time we had um, the ongoing uh, liquidity crisis. So mm -hmm. I was attempting to figure out ways to raise money based on my former corporate fin background. At the end of that year, I was asked to negotiate with our largest bondholder, Goldman Sachs, uh, debt for equity swap. So that because we weren't going to be able to make our next bond payment. So we negotiated debt for equity swap, took us private with Goldman Sachs through a prearranged Chapter 11 bankruptcy, hearkening back to my bankruptcy roots. Right? Yeah, it just keeps keeps coming back. Yeah, when yeah. we emerged from that, that's when Goldman Sachs, I was still the lawyer, although I had taken on some business roles. Mm -hmm. um, that's when they came to me and said, you've been on a year long job interview. We've been watching you the whole time. Then you came and really had an interaction with us on this negotiation. We would like for you to step up as the new CEO of the company now that we own it. Mm -hmm. So that's how I transitioned. And it's really hard to do from the law right. side of things and right to the top. You know, but, um, you know, it served you well. All those bits and pieces of business you just kept getting. Oh, yeah. Right? And 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 with the M&A work, you really got a chance to look at businesses. I've been and, in the boardroom from day one in my law practice, which is not what a litigator gets to do. So I was just, you know, again, I was I was fortuitous. Yeah, that, uh, I, I, that, that, that was great. And then you, you sold it. We sold it. Yeah, we, you know, Goldman Sachs doesn't like to hold on to anything for too long. <laughs> that part of it. So... Yeah, we beautified it to go to market. Um, after a few years, we sold it uh, again back to my M&A roots. We sold it to Gildan, which is another public company that does a wholesale apparel, probably in the back of one of your T-shirts. And um, <laughs> yeah, and then I stuck around for a transition period. They did something brilliant with the company. You know, we 
the company had been in liquidity crisis in part because our costs were so crazy. You mentioned earlier that we were vertically integrated and we were right. We did every we we made everything ourselves. I mean, we made our own thread, we made our own dye, we had knitting factories, we owned all of that from soup to nuts. We made it, we made it all here in the US, here in downtown Los Angeles. The barriers to entry for a company like that are so high, nobody would ever do it again. And for good reason. It was yeah. expensive. So they actually were really smart. They figured out the customers in a brand study would actually rather pay a dollar less if the thing was made offshore, or at least partially offshore. Even though they cared about made in the U.S., it wasn't the most important thing. So they're making everything offshore now, and um, you know they've able they've been able to really get it. They make some money. No, absolutely. No, that's that is absolutely great. Look, I'm Vern Davis, your host of Plant Profits, and I'm here with Chelsea Grayson, and we just heard the the American Apparel True Religion story, and I I really wanted to get to that. We're going to take a break, and then we're going to get into how Chelsea got into cannabis. <laughs> we'll see you guys on the other side. Plant profits will return so our sponsors can profit from these messages. Hey, take a look at this. They're selling smart pots. <laughs> they have pot that can make you smart? Where is it? Not that kind of pot. Smart pots are the best aeration container to grow your plants. Check this out. This is the original fabric container for faster producing healthier plants. They're made with a superior fabric that delivers high yields. Plus, smart pots are reusable and sustainable, so you can use them over and over again, no matter if you use them indoor or outdoor. That's very smart, but how good are they for the environment? Smart pots are BPA-free and lead-free, so you'll always be able to ensure a pure, clean grow, and they're 100% made in the U.S. Over 28 million smart pots have already been sold, so it seems like a smart investment. Look for smart pots in close to 2,000 garden centers throughout North America and ask for the original fabric container. Find a store near you or order yours online at smartpots.com. The plant profits are back to lead the pursuit of the promised land of plant profit. Only on CannabisRadio.com. Hey, I'm Vern Davis, your host of Plant Profits, and Plant Profits is brought to you and fueled by Protus Global People Solutions. And I'm here with Chelsea Grayson, who is a con- a, a consultant, uh, board member, advisor. Uh, she's been CEO of a famous company, American Apparel True Religion Business. And uh, she's really involved in many things and doing some really cool things. I think I think the lady's actually doing what she wants to do. And uh, that's that's pretty damn cool. Uh, you are on the board of Vireo Health, right? I am. I, yeah. So, like, talking about cannabis, right? You grew up in you you grew up in proper LA. Cannabis is no stranger to you as you were growing up, right? Yeah. I, I would imagine you had opportunities to imbibe. I'm sure you probably had those opportunities. Right. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe. I, I, yeah, I can't. I couldn't see you doing that. But um, I, I would tell you, I, I you know, I, I did. I did look at Vireo and just looked at what they're doing. It's it, it's right now. It's 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 a medical MSO. And uh, so tell, tell us how you got involved and, and why you thought it was a good idea and how you could actually help this company and help steer it to success. Yeah. I hadn't planned on getting into the cannabis industry unless something really special came along. I wasn't opposed to it, but I didn't just want to 
go work for some sexy brand, you know, if there right. wasn't nothing behind it, because it's never been particularly in my DNA. That's not necessarily an industry that I personally vibed with. You know, now you go talk to my husband. I said he was from the Bronx earlier, but he's, he's, but that's by way of Jamaica. So he's never not high. Okay. So that, <laughs> that's for sure something that's within his heart. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't necessarily something I was personally gravitating towards, like fashion, you know? Um, yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> but the folks at Vireo approached me when they were looking to take the company public and they needed to establish a true, you know, a professional board of folks that had sat on public company boards before, you know, um, particularly with, in their minds that, you know, at that point, within the next five to seven years, some form of federal legalization was going to happen so that we were ultimately going to trade on the NASDAQ. And then they really were going to have to have a professional board. So they reached out to me and a lot of companies were reaching out to me at the time, but that company in particular, it was founded by a physician who originally founded it with this eye towards ending the opioid epidemic in this country. That resonated with me first and foremost, you know, this idea that you could get folks to switch away from opioids, big, big traditional pharma even, which has never held a good place in my heart, you know, um, and switch over to cannabinoids, which are inherently not addictive, therapeutic. So they're not just killing an issue. They're actually helping you to become more healthy in lots and lots of different ways. R&D has been really hard to get for a whole variety of reasons, but the R&D that's been done has shown the therapeutic benefits. So it's not just that it's killing your pain, it's that it's helping the underlying source of the pain, right? Which is unlike if you just get on a a big pharma painkiller. So this idea that he wanted to wean his patients in his private practice off of opioids and onto cannabinoids or some derivation thereof, Mm -hmm. and that's why he had started the company. And then when you really looked at the science of the company, there's a chief science officer, there's a chief medical officer. Mm-hmm. You know, so he's devoted a huge part of his funds to R&D. Okay. And then when you took a look at the products that they've developed, mm-hmm. which are the most high quality, science-based, powerful products. I mean, he's got patents on some of the ways that he's been able to manipulate the terpenes and to make sure that the packaging you know, helps the terpenes remain active and not expire as quickly as they would in other packaging. I mean, they really care about maintaining the potency of their products. Um, That's terrific. They, yeah. they need to work a lot on the marketing and the sizzle and the sexiness of it for sure. Mm-hmm. The other board I sit on is Loud Pack, which is a big, sexy, sizzly, you know, brand out here in California. Mm-hmm. You know, top five brands out here. We do Dime Bag and a whole bunch of other brands you've heard of. So, I mean, that's the that's the two ends of the spectrum, right? Right. And you're on both ends. I'm on both ends, right? Yeah. So about like the sexy sizzle California and right. Nigeria, which doesn't touch California at all, but has really the most high-end science-based product. But all of that really attracted me. And then once I really started to talk to them, the other thing that attracted me was, because I always said growing up here in California that if I was going to get into cannabis industry was going to have to be with a company that cared about the social equity aspect of it. Absolutely. You know, um, yeah. black and brown people have been, mm-hmm. and I've saw it firsthand here in California, in Los Angeles in particular, growing mm-hmm. up in three, have been disproportionately negatively impacted by the so-called war on drugs. We all know that. I'm not going to get course about it. We know the stories. We know the incarceration rate. We know the stats right there. They, In my mind, they should absolutely benefit disproportionately from the legal cannabis industry. And I for sure wanted to join a brand that that felt that way also. 
both in, in respect of giving back, which we do with our 1937 brand, you know, in terms of giving proceeds and getting involved with LPP, for example, but also okay. putting their money where their mouth is. You know, you put black and brown people in the upper le upper levels of management on the board, you know, right. you, it's all of that. And so I looked very diligently into all of that with the company and found all of it to be true there. So it, it was a big decision for me because, you know, not for nothing, and especially a few years ago, there was, there is still, people kind of look at you sideways when they find out that you have a, an involvement in the cannabis industry. You know, it's still drug deal, right? So, <laughs> I know. I know. I did, I, did, I did choose very carefully, you know, because I wanted yeah. to make sure that it reflected the things that I stand for in my personal life and that it was, that there was a, a call to action, so to speak. And it wasn't just, we're creating a cool brand and we're going to sell it to all the popular people. You know. you know, that's great. That That is an awesome story and how you made that decision and, and why you made that decision. And um, uh, I like how you plan the game, right? You, you, you plan on both ends of that and uh, uh, on the cannabis space. And, you know, it's time flies, right? And it, it's been amazing talking to you. Um, it was like I, this. <laughs> it's just easy, right? <laughs> You're going to have to do part two at some point. I, we, we will. We will. And, 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 you know, and we want you to be, hopefully already know you're a friend of the show. We want you to be a friend of the show. And um, uh, when you, uh, when you want to talk about something that's happening out there with, with these businesses and brands, um, please let us know. We want you back and we really appreciate you being here. And, um, you know, Chelsea Grayson has been my guest today. And she's, like I've said many times today already, she's um, a, a hell of a woman. She's uh, uh, been a tremendous executive at uh, American Imperial and True Religion. And she's on uh, the boards of many companies. She's um, helping companies grow and be special. And we just had a little chat about Vireo Health and she told us why she chose that company and how it's helping folks. And uh, I, th I think the mission of that company is awesome. And we should, we should find more companies that with that mission and, and uh, that'll make it uh, better for all of us. And I want to thank you all for joining us here. I'm Vern Davis, your host of Plant Profits. Uh, Plant Profits is fueled by Protus Global People Solutions. And I want you all to go into our uh, podcast. Check us out. Wherever you get your podcast, we're there. CannabisRadio.com, of course. Uh, you can find us there. Uh, that is important. Apple, Google, Amazon, iHeartRadio, Spotify, all, of, all the spots. And then you can also follow Protus Global on LinkedIn and Facebook, Twitter, all of the social media platforms, we are there. That's protisglobal.com. That's P-R-O-T-I-S, global.com. And until next time, I'm Vern Davis, your host of Plant Profits. Cheers.
the opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast, republication, or retransmission of this program without proper consent is prohibited.